Welcome to Have You Seen This, the podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten cinema. All discussions will be spoiler-heavy. You have been warned. guest today it's my friend sean morris aka saint is crazy on twitter hi folks what's your capsule bio sean my capsule bio oh lord i had so many let's just say i'm a uh, writer slash performer slash curmudgeon slash professional well not professional professional amateur critic or is it amateur professional critic? I don't know. I thought you were but, gonna say what was in your Twitter bio, which is professional black friend. Oh yeah, professional black friend. <laughs> I really gotta work that business model up because that's a good one. <laughs> it's true, folks. Sean is being compensated healthily for his that's appearance right. tonight as an mm-hmm. actual black man. And they get paid back in street cred. <laughs> and we do have a very special election year m- movie for you tonight we do. it's a bullworth from 1998 oh good old 1998 the days when my favorite rappers were master p and mystical <laughs> na 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 those were really <laughs> dark days i found a lot of things from that year have not aged well no much like this movie I was going to say, I was like, what else happened in 1998? I was like, yeah, I don't really like a lot of this culture. Yeah, and 1998 was the year that Halle Berry said, you're my nigga to Warren Beatty. She did. <laughs> she did. And a little and a little part of her soul died, I'm sure. And it was actually less awkward than when Warren Beatty called Isaiah Washington a nigga in the same movie. Oh my God, like... That that scene was amazing. It was like uh, it was like the the SNL bit with Richard Pryor and Chevy Chase. It was interview bit, except like without the like satirical punch. Right? You Did know? you call me nigga, motherfucker? <laughs> Would you rather I call you a motherfucker, motherfucker? Oh Would... damn! Beatty just threw down. That reminds me of in high school. If I can go back to a repressed high school memory, really quick. Um, I had some very tolerant uh, theater nerd friends that said they thought all rap sounded like motherfucker, 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 motherfucker. And they were half right. <laughs> They're also <laughs> half very wrong. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of how in this movie, um, Beatty's character actually lectures a church full of black people about like worshiping running backs and not putting down the chicken and malt liquor. Yeah, that one was really different. I wasn't really, I remember from my memory of watching the movie, I'm sure I watched it more than once when it came out because I believe I enjoyed it. Yeah. Because I was a teenager and had voted in one election and I was Republicans and Democrats different, you the same, you say? <laughs> this is a fresh perspective. The same money? Big business. <laughs> Thank you, Aaron Sorkin. So it might have been eye-opening at the time. 
we can come back to Aaron Sorkin in a second. I have some thoughts. Maybe yes. eight. Oh, oh, I, um, I have thoughts on Aaron Sorkin. Let me yeah, tell you. We have many. <laughs> but um, uh, let's kind of uh, dial it back to the beginning, which is this was uh, a movie uh, directed by Warren Beatty, starring right. Warren Beatty, 1998. Um, the basic, All written by Warren Beatty. Yeah. Um, and also with polishes by Aaron Sorkin and James Toback. Um, we all know Aaron Sorkin. James Toback is a screenwriter director and a Beatty crony. I think they both mm-hmm. were they were both pussyhounds together back in the day. Right. They they worked on my favorite Warren Beatty movie together, which would be Bugsy. But we don't have to go into that because <laughs> we don't have like three hours. No, we don't. <laughs> but I would say that Warren Beatty uh, reciting Twenty Dwarfs took turns standing on the carpet was more hip hop than Bulwark's <laughs> actual cadence. <laughs> it probably would have done them a, a service to have someone versed in hip hop vernacular. Yeah, well, uh, ripped. Well, we'll get into that too because <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack. But yeah, yeah. so um, well, do you want to give the uh, the summary of the film? The summary of the film. It's pretty simple, and it's I, I kind of like that about a lot of movies before The Matrix and The Lord of the Rings. Where you had forty-five to one and a half movies to set up your story. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't Back have the, the, 90s, the luxury of the trilogy. Much, yeah, they pretty much were like, if you don't tell the story in fifteen minutes, you're lost. So, the story is very simple. Jay Billington Bullworth is a senator up for re-election. He is despondent. He's made some bad business decisions, and he's also tired of the DC game. He's not eaten or drank or slept in several days. He's running back his, uh, the film opens with him running back his campaign, which I actually find funny. Yes. Is him running it back and him crying. I think that part of the despondency played for laughs really worked very well because yeah. I'm like, oh, I get it. Because as the opening kind of title hollow card, words is this kind of hollow words are repeated back like again and again. And it's like it's echoing through his skull that he's been doing this for 40 years. Yeah. And there's pictures of the wall, on the wall of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and him meeting with activists. And he's like, what have I become? I'm just another corporate shill. Oh, no. And you're like, this guy's a jackass. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he's despondent about the state of politics and the state of his own campaign. We're not sure if he wants to be reelected or if he wants out. Um, and we quickly discover that he wants out in the big way. He hires a man to do a, it's called a, he refers to it as a weekend business trip, I believe. The weekend research trip, which is the phrase for he hires a man to assassinate him. And he also does a deal with a southern businessman played by uh, noted southern man Paul Sorvino. <laughs> I mean, they have Italian-Americans everywhere, so it makes sense. <laughs> or he could just be adopting an accent a la Madonna. In 1998. True. That's when the British accent uh, first happened. <laughs> and he gets a very expensive insurance contract put out on his life to be paid out to his daughter. In exchange, he is going to make sure a bill that would provide... Uh, is it health insurance or life insurance? Insurance. Yeah. For lower income individuals, 
people of color with insurance. <laughs> Unthinkable. Yeah, I guess no. I guess um insurance was the particular bug up Beatty's ass at this point. I mean, this was. was kind of in the aftermath of um the Clintons like failed attempt at healthcare reform. Yes. And Beatty, as we all know, has been like a lifelong Democrat and activist, so I'm sure that was something that stuck in his He was in McGovern's inner circle, for whatever that's worth, which is probably not much. That's legit. I like, um, oh, there's the part in, not to to skip ahead, but there's a part where he's talking to Halle Berry's character about Huey P. Newton, and he's like, do you know who Huey Newton is? And I was like, did Warren Beatty ever actually meet Huey Newton, I wonder? Um, he might have seen him in passing and decided that that counted as meeting Huey Newton, or maybe he did. Yeah, like, maybe he Huey was Newton was like, motherfucker, we've 70s. never met. <laughs> and maybe Huey Newton might have wanted to meet Warren Beatty, for all we know. He was pretty dreamy. Yes. And he might have really liked uh, Bonnie and Clyde. But uh, that's pretty much the the initial setup, is that he wants to die, and he decides to kill himself. And then he goes to a black church in South Central Los Angeles and something in him snaps and he decides to tell it like it is a la Howard Beale and Network except he's also kind of still a blowhard jackass about it. It's I remembered it as him kind of being like tell it like it is yeah go Bullworth but this is really like you're really saying terrible things. Yeah it's like what is this impulse of like that that white well white men especially have that they're like well you know I'm just gonna I'm gonna tell it like it is and I'm I'm really gonna like tell the truth here and it's yeah. always just the same like boilerplate racist shit that mm-hmm. you're like embarrassing really uncle more... like believes in exactly it works more if the main character is not supposed to be like a hero if he's like an anti-hero or an antagonist like say taxi driver or falling down. Yeah. Where you don't have to root for the person as they do these horrible things, and then yeah. they, and like it falling down where he says, "I'm the bad guy." Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't know what he's been doing is horrible. But yeah, like falling falling down was actually some like pretty good satire of like that type of person, and I <laughs> found like, and this was true like throughout the movie where like the message of Bullworth was kind of muddled. Where I was like, "Are like okay, like surely we're not supposed to think that you know like." this is Beatty's character's, like, great awakening, and suddenly he's, like, perfectly woke because he's a, still a little bit of an idiot who's basically, like, you know, and he speaks some truth, but he's also, like, kind of awkward and, like, appropriates black culture in this really embarrassing way, and I'm like, okay, so yeah. are they saying... And, you know, he parrots a lot of what uh, the secondary characters, the black characters, say to him, and I was like, is this making some kind of a point about how, like... You know, these messages, like, have to be, like, filtered through white people to be, like, acceptable to, like, the larger, There's, you know? <laughs> that's a big, that's a very good point. And it's also kind of the point that a lot of people bring up when cultural appropriation is brought up, is that why is it always cultural appropriation when it's quote-unquote low culture? Like, oh, he's wearing baggy pants and eating fried chicken. That means he's black. Nobody else does that. <laughs> and, I agree that it is all over the place. I think it's filmed tonally off, like I said at the beginning, where it has the title card. It is 1996. It's Bill Clinton versus Bob Dole. The electorate is unaroused. And I, I think that was a really good tone, mm-hmm. where like it's that it's kind of like it sets it up as dark and ominous, but also as like it's this is a really silly time. Yeah. 
at the same time. It's like no one really cares. And especially now with the 90s being filtered through the 1950s-esque lens of, oh, that was an era of peace and prosperity when we know it wasn't. (laughs) For Um, some, now it is because Compared to the shit storms that came afterwards, yeah, <laughs> it seems like fucking Shangri-La. Yeah, um, this is decidedly not that. Where it does present the '90s as turbulent because, well, they were in the middle of it. Especially when the movie came out. The movie I remember came out during the summer of '98, which is notoriously known for being presidential scandal-free. Oh wait, no, it's not. <laughs> that was the pretty much the high point of Ken Starr Lewinsky gate that might have been when the impeachment actually happened. Or yeah, I think I think this vote. movie came out like the year of the impeachment. It was I think the actual impeachment was around summer ninety eight. I think yeah. it was after this movie came out, but it was yeah. it was in the cards while it was being filmed. Yeah, and so like there's a there's a lot of parallels with uh, senators and politicians in general having skeletons in their closet and not wanting to bring them out and all being dishonest and hiding the truth from their constituents. Yeah. Yeah. And then once they tell the truth, their approval ratings go up, which actually did happen for Bill Clinton. True. And it happens for Bullworth in a different way. Yeah. And it's, it's funny, though, because, like, you know, the problem with this whole, like, like, there's this romantic notion that, like, one day, like, a man, it's always a man, is gonna... One day, one old white man yes, in like politics. Yes, will come before us, and he will speak the unfiltered, unvarnished truth, you know? And then it will be, like, revelatory, and everybody will gravitate toward him. And it's kind of like, you know, like, the way that happens in reality is that you get Donald Trump... You have, like, an old and white guy saying horrible, shitty, racist, Bullworth. sexist shit. And a certain yeah. segment of the population is like, yeah, that's right. He's saying the stuff that, like, I didn't have the guts to say, you know, because of societal niceties, you know. And then everyone else just exactly. kind of, like, recoils in horror. When I remember, I don't really remember what I thought at the time, but I don't remember thinking negatively of him at the time. I thought he was funny. I think I just thought it was silly. Because yeah. the rapping was intentionally clunky and, of course, played for laughs. Yes. So I thought, oh, we're not supposed to take it seriously. But now, and also at the time, we didn't have a blowhard running for a large presidential party ticket right. at the time. So it seemed preposterous Yeah. that someone would be able to say things and then get... And especially, there were so many parallels, it made me think that Donald Trump had watched this movie... And decided he was just going to do it without the rapping and just be more (laughs) offensive instead of rapping. Because there's the scene like at the church where he shocks the black people by telling him to stop eating malt liquor and fried chicken. And don't defend that linebacker who stabbed his wife. Like that's (laughs) offensive to everybody. And then somehow he gets Halle Berry and her two friends who I know one of their names is time, but I didn't get it. But they literally, the friends who he learns slang from by listening to them talk in the limo. Yeah. I They literally reminded me of Donald Trump's Diamond and Sapphire when he brought those two black women on the stage with him. <laughs> and they went, he gonna build that wall, baby! <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness. Maybe he showed that to them and said, can you play these characters for me? <laughs> because there's nothing in anything he said that would make those women follow him. Yeah, I was really struggling to understand why he 
immediately won over these women. I didn't even understand why Halle Berry was eating a lollipop in church, but that's just me. Yeah, like, that was weird because, like, the very first shot is of her, like, sucking on a lollipop, and I'm like, well, mm, all right. <laughs> and that really, to me, the overarching theme, I don't want to use too many large words to make myself sound extra intelligent, but <laughs> the theme of Bullworth does seem to be more less telling it like it is and more about politicians are corrupt and want pussy. Yes. Because his main goal for even acting that way and talking that way is always when he sees her in a room, when he sees Halle Berry's character in a room, or even the first time he sees her, he goes, oh. Yeah. When he sees her in a limo. like So that's basically his motivation is I need to get in Halle Berry's pants. Well, Warren Beatty can't escape his essential Warren Beattyness. And at this point, this is actually an important period in Warren Beatty history because he is no longer Pussyhound Warren Beatty. Because That's Madonna right. was... killed Pussyhound Warren Beatty. Yes, and then he was, and then he married Annette Benning, and, and they ran married... straight into the arms Since... of Annette Benning. Yeah. And the last two, three movies he had made, his love interest was Annette Benning. That's right. And this also seems like a, like as uh, Kim Wayne said in the Living Color sketch, a chocolate fantasy. <laughs> where it's like I want a really hot co-star I can rub up with and and, and make out with and I, it seemed like a lot of it was motivated by lusting after Halle Berry which is a noble cause to be sure indeed I, I mean lusting after Halle Berry has been one of my favorite pastimes for a few decades now <laughs> yes definitely most, most of us surely felt the same way but I don't know if that's really a good foundation for a character, a main character in a movie. I was hoping that Bulworth's tell like this thing would go somewhere deeper, but it was re- really, really surface. The corporations have us in our pockets, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, and there were no I solutions. was wondering if the ultimate point was going to be the... Um... I wondered if the point was going to be the ultimate fatuousness of these, like, rich old white leaders. Like, even, you know, even when they when they throw people a bone, they're still going to be, like, rich old white men, you know. But so much of what um, Bowler says, especially, like, later when he does his television appearance and he's talking about, um, you know, he starts parodying, uh, parodying what Halle Berry's character said to him in the limo. And then talking about, like, you know, income inequality or blah, blah, blah. You know, a lot of it, which, you know, you're supposed to take as at face value is like, wow, you know, that guy's like really like, you know, he's really onto something there. So, you know, there's some ambiguity as to whether or not we're supposed to, like, admire his character or, like, just find him as ridiculous as all the other people in in DC. Yeah, that is the that is the turning point that I think that's the last television appearance he does a he he does one television appearance where he does not rap in the debate, but he just talks about how the media has bought and sold the debate and he and his candidate are basically taking the same money. His last television appearance is the one where I actually like that one the most because he does rap but he doesn't rap in that hokey 
My name is Bullworth and I'm here to say, actually he does say that one. He actually says that. He does, I'm Bullworth and my name is Bullworth and I'm here to say, which is any time you watch a sitcom, even in 2016, (laughs) 14 years after 8 Mile, anytime someone raps on a television show, my name is something and I'm here to say, like. You, you've, you've not witnessed any of the advancements in rap culture in lyrics. <laughs> no, they were, the they were too busy listening to years. Hamilton. And, you know, I don't know if I'm ready for Hamilton yet, but <laughs> my reaction to Bullworth rapping <laughs> is my reaction to Hamilton rapping, except I find Bullworth rapping entertaining. True, it's the yeah. same one syllable, something, 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 something else. We've got to sign a Declaration of Independence. Also like John Ralphio on Parks and Rec, who never finished the rhyme on the line, the line on the rhyme. <laughs> it reminds L me of... Um... to the S to the least. She's the dopest person in all of Pawnee, Indiana. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it kind of, it reminds me of... um. My friend Rich, back in film school, like, he wrote this, like, short rap, which is basically, like, a parody of, like, really stupid, like, you know, educational songs, like, trying to reach out to the kids. And it, it started yep. off as, I'm Mr. Rutabaga, and I'm here to say, here to, say. to eat your vegetables every day. <laughs> every day. I mean, that's just, like, if you not listen to a rap song written after 1981. Because yeah. they've, done, they've done leaps and bounds with the art form, I tell you what. It's a, that's actually a good question is like, who had better flow, Warren Beatty and Bullworth or Lin-Manuel Miranda? Like, it's a toss-up I'm going to say it's, they're equally bad, but Warren (laughs) Beatty's bad flow is intentional and played for laughs. Yes. And Lin-Manuel Miranda, Tim Kaine in the membrane. Oh my God. The take Tim Kaine to my membrane. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That was, that was the moment when I just said, oh my God. I did see a tweet today that said this could be the end of hip-hop and history. <laughs> in one fell swoop, just the, just the words Tim Kane in the membrane could yes. be the end of all. Lin- Lin-Manuel Miranda will go down as, as very important in cultural history because he killed hip-hop by yeah. being just a just unbelievable theater nerd. Yeah, and just ruining multiple genres at once. <laughs> Good on you, Lin Manuel. I, I and I hate to slam the guy because he does he does actually seem like a talented guy, but like well, he knows how to mount a play, which is more than I can say. Well, he can write more than you know, uh, forty eight bars and be like, oh, I'm done with this. Well, I'm I'm just a clown you shoe know. with a podcast, so like, what the hell do I know? Like, no nobody's asking me to write like lyrics telling people to vote for hillary clinton so yeah i'm not down in his work ethic or his tactics and his effectiveness i'm just saying i find it very hokey very simple yes and it's like it's he feels like he's talking down to his audience whether they're supposed to be seventh graders or 70 year olds well it does like hamilton does feel like a musical that was written to teach middle school kids about history exactly exactly what it seemed like if i could make it through it because i only made it through three songs yeah like once you said let's hatch a plot blacker than the kettle calling the pot i said okay i need to listen to some rap now (laughs) some actual rap oh did you like how they kept they kept queuing up insane in the membrane and in bullworth yes because i know you love that song (laughs) i is not one of my favorite songs uh mainly i just b-real's voice 
I kind of have a thing against nasal high pitched voices unless it's Eminem or Warner Brandis. Um, <laughs> B Rose voice, which of course is not his real speaking voice, kind of always irked me a little bit. I like his rapping. I just don't like his voice. I think Jay Z is a different same way, but not really nasal. His is more squeaky. But just higher registers aren't really my favorite sound in rap. Right. And then you've got the sound in it as well. So it's like, oh, good. So you've got two hummingbirds in my ears now. Because <laughs> I just didn't, we didn't have enough of that. So it's like, it's like the dental drill of rapping, basically. Yes. What did you, um, ask, you know, I, I also actually... enjoyed the queuing up of one of my actual favorite rap songs, which would be Ice Cube's The Wrong Nigga to Fuck With. Yeah. From the... Fantastic, if you have not heard a Death Certificate. It's probably the most offensive rap album, or one of the most offensive rap albums ever made, and not because of, like, the people or the epithets that he uses, because it actually does have slice-of-life vignettes about race relations and some really radical solutions and some really scathing things to say about everybody, and not just... You know, it's not just downing white people or downing business owners or Korean owners. He pretty much criticizes everyone and everything. It sounds like Bullworth could have used some of that truth. He could have used a really good ghostwriter. The problem is we're in 1998. <laughs> uh, Tupac and Biggie and Dead and corporate hip hop is basically taken over at this point. And you have, it's all megalomania in hip hop now, which is oh probably why... Bullworth the take, the watched of, the television. The takeover of corporate hip-hop, like, by corporate hip-hop, totally parallels, like, the corporate interests in Washington in the movie. Yeah. Oh, my God, what a connection. And that's the kind of hip-hop that Bullworth is subjected to, and that's the kind that he adopts. So he just has the swagger and the attitude, but it's all bluster, no substance, which pretty much makes him the same politician that he was. So it's not really a journey. That he yeah. goes on, he kind of goes full circle. Yeah, and it's like is he that kind of back where he started point? from? He's not depressed anymore. Yeah, like it's um, but you know, you know, it's this, it's the same old like um, kind of like white male journey with like a manic pixie dream girl. Like, oh, life is meaningless. Oh wait, like I met this really very hot manic chick, and life girl. has meaning again. I was gonna say something about characters being thinly drawn, but they're also thinly drawn. You can't really fault. Like, oh, the women, they're, the women weren't feeling drunk. Like, well, so were the men. So well, really... yeah, and I mean, sometimes with with satire, you tend, like, it tends to be painted in broad strokes, and that isn't necessarily a bad thing, you know, so I'm not, I'm not going to fault the movie on that. Yeah. But, like, I will fault it for having a little bit of a muddled message, and also, like, I, like, you know, again, like, Beatty being a long time, like, activist and democrat you know but also like a hollywood superstar and like very rich dude you know mm -hmm. like who like actually has like, been mentioned for presidential candidacy many times yeah and like actually like has co-founded like actual washington think tanks that like deal with policy and stuff like that you know i it 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 is almost like this movie is him kind of trying to like you know atone for the sin of becoming like a rich old white shitty democrat you know 
Mm-hmm. Like, oh man, like I hung out, I hung out with with Huey Newton. I admired Malcolm X, blah blah blah. And you know, I'm sure that was true of Beatty in the '70s. You know, yeah. when he fucking was kicking it with George McGovern. But you know that now, like, in and then I made Love Affair, huh? And then I made Love Affair, <laughs> and I have to atone. It was it was no shampoo, that's for sure. No, <laughs> shampoo is great. I should watch that again. Yeah, that's a good one. And that was like, well, it's I can't say it was the height of Beatty's fuckability because like his his fuckability was pretty. He had pretty a good ten twenty years there. Yeah, because like even even in this movie, he's like charming, you know, like he's like old as yes. old as my dad. But <laughs> I get the part of that they would follow him around because he's a powerful man because he's mm-hmm. a senator. So they're gonna be like, "Oh, let's follow him around. He's got money for us. He's got a job." I got that point, and I got that you know he is still Warren Beatty's easy on the eyes. He's got a nice face, even though it was disheveled and not shaved the whole time. He still has a nice look about him. Yeah, and you kind of believe like you know as much as you know I pointed out earlier like why are you know for example like why are these women following him? Like you kind of get why all these people are like kind of charmed by this weird white dude. Hmm. I sp- like I love when um he goes to her house and it's basically like he's walking into like an Eddie Murphy sketch. Yes, there was a lot of it, it did feel like the hollowed out shells of like old Eddie Murphy sketches from the 80s. <laughs> like what's going to happen in here? Like oh these black people love their collard greens and the mother goes that's kale. <laughs> and she she keeps calling him general. <laughs> yes. The fish-out-of-water stuff, I, I think if the movie had stuck with it being, like, a really dark comedy, I think it would have worked better. Yeah. Like, at the beginning where he's despondent and we're kind of still laughing at him. Yeah. It's, I think it works better. And the fish-out-of-water stuff, like, when he goes to the club and gets high and he learns how to mix a record and all he mixes is dick and pussy back and forth on the record. <laughs> like, that stuff's really funny. And I think... <laughs> It just plays into just he's lost his fucking mind, and I like that about it. It doesn't really go in the direction I'd like to see about it because once he loses his fucking mind, he decides, oh, now I can say socialized medicine is okay. Yeah. In a really bad K, dense. (laughs) That was a real freestyle. I just came up with that myself. I spit hot fire. That was that was fucking amazing. Like here's here's a million dollars to make a Broadway play out of it. News run Hollywood. Dump a dump. <laughs> there are actually points where I mean I guess the character's supposed to be freestyling, so that's why it's off the cuff. But he just goes. I've never heard a rapper start a song. Yeah, which is weird. Like he has to speak in tongues, and then he can go into the the rap. Yeah. And like, I'm ready now. I've gone. Like right before, there's a point right before Halle Berry kisses him where he kind of just starts stammering, going, blah, 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 blah. and I was like, dude, if I were with a guy that I was thinking of kissing and he started doing that, I'd like pull back and be like, are you okay? Are you having a stroke? That's the end of the kiss, man. Yeah. It was kind of acting like that he had to have a multiple person. This is my rap persona because he didn't talk in rhyme all the time. No. As someone who once talked in rhyme all the time and almost lost all of his friends for it. <laughs> I mean, you kind of just stay in it for a while. He kind—he really just slipped out and then slipped in. Even when the cameras weren't, it wasn't that the cameras were on. He would do it. I was Robbie do. He would just do it when he felt like doing it. I did. I did notice when because I watched this on Netflix, and I always put I always put K 
captions on because like my my brain is broken. Yeah, I did I that need, the second time. I need the help. I noticed that they couldn't even the captioner couldn't even tell if he was rapping half the time. Like there was a point when they just started putting musical notes around everything he was saying. <laughs> like it was just this constant like free flow of like almost yeah. lyrics but not quite. It's just him rambling about socialized medicine. <laughs> Socialism. <laughs> That's it's a bad a, word. You know, and I, it would would have been nice to see more of like Firebrand Beatty, which you you kind of yes. got because he is unabashedly liberal. But you know, I kind of want to see the the Beatty who made a fucking three hour movie about a communist, like yeah. at the he beginning of the eighties, the era of Reagan. He's like, yes, this is a movie about a fucking communist, you mm. know, and it is. Uh, it is completely complimentary, you know? Like, man, like, they don't do shit like that anymore. He got sidetracked by the dick and the pussy. Yeah. <laughs> or is he, is he lovingly refers to as the nappy dugout? Which was the was the words that really made his eyes light up. Nappy dugout. Uh, a lot of people my age first heard, again, on, I'm just plugging Death Certificate because Ice Cube won't. Uh, Death Certificate has a song called Giving Up the Nappy Dugout, which is about... Uh, Ice Cube going out on a date with the uh, loosest girl in town and just yelling <laughs> at the girl's father waiting for her to come downstairs that she is a slut and then describes it in very, very, very graphic, vulgar ways. I need to hear this album. <laughs> it's one of it's one of the greatest albums ever, ever made, I would say. <laughs> it's as good as The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Dude, that's good shit. So you're pretty sold. It's pretty cinematic. <laughs> There's commercials. It weaves through seamlessly. I know what would get you to listen to this. Album. Yeah, he's like, let me put it in terms that Jen would understand. It's as good as Genesis album from the Peter Gabriel era. As to quote my other part of my Twitter bio, I am basically Death Certificate meets The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. <laughs> that is what. That's all you need to know about me is that those two albums have shaped my personality. He's building bridges. He's uh, he's 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 bringing together the black and the white. He's keeping it real. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, more spitting hot fire tonight. Exactly, it's it's hot fire. <laughs> I um, the the whole nappy dugout thing. Like again, it's that. That's where you get the bug out. Like that's not where you get the bug out. It <laughs> means pussy. That's all it means. <laughs> where that's where you get the bug out. I. Now, I'm very white, but I don't know what the fuck that means. <laughs> no, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> That's what I thought. And that might have been a bad ad lib. And they're like, That's funny, keep it. They're like, yeah, we don't like... know what the nappy dugout is either. Like, well, there's a bunch of black people on set that have probably heard the song and <laughs> could tell you what it is. <laughs> and the whole like the whole nappy dugout easy... thing, it's it's more of that like, oh, I'm a white guy and I'm saying all these naughty things that society doesn't let me say it, it's like a more you know for some reason i keep thinking of the the bit in under the cherry moon where they um where prince and his friend keep ah. trying to get uh kristen scott thomas to say recasto <laughs> right but that was funnier <laughs> yeah like because i actually laughed it, it really hard at that today. scene i think it's because it's so stilted in Bullworth, and I like that it's stilted because he's just saying I'm bad at this, and it's a joke, and he's kind of crazy. Yeah. 
kind of also when he tries to get deep, it doesn't really work. That's why I like the one at the end the best because he does kind of stop doing like the swagger and the bopping around and where he like gets kind of his tone gets serious and his voice gets a little deeper. And um, it does kind of bring up what politicians do or are supposed to do, which is listen to their constituents and voice their concerns to higher power and hopefully enact change. Yeah. The problem is the movie just makes it seem like he just took those people said and made it his own idea. And it seems like he just stole their idea. Yeah. And then as um, opposed to like, I wasn't even sure if he wanted the black vote or if he just wanted attention. Yeah, exactly. Or he just wanted to build that. Oh, baby. (laughs) It also, um, this movie is a great example of the way white people really desperately want the approval of black people, even as they won't. Yes. They won't necessarily like hang out with them or like, but they're like, oh man, like we, we, I really want you to think I'm cool. Like say that I'm cool and that I can hang. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I need a, I need, I need black people to say I'm all right so I can be all right. I'm not all right until a black person says it. And of course, no, um, I don't want to say white. There isn't really too much white savior narrative in this. He's not really saving anyone except for maybe those child drug dealers that he buys ice cream. God, what a that's weird the only scene. Time dips into, that's the only time it dips into white savior narrative where the cops come and he, at, they, he tells them to back off. That scene is just fucking weird. It's very, it's very out of place. That's when the tone was just like, we don't know if this is a comedy anymore. Yeah. It's like he watched part of a couple in the hood movies. It's like, oh, I need to bring in the police so they can harass these children. It was very quaint that that, it was very quaint that that cop merely smashed an ice cream cone into that kid's face instead of just shooting him. Yeah, it was, it was very nice. That's how you know uh, Warren Beatty is innocent in all this. He's like, so when the cops come up on you, they just shove their their food in your face, right? <laughs> yes, their food. I love those. Faces. I, I love that. I love these weird baby crack dealers. Yeah. <laughs> like these kids are like six. <laughs> yeah. Don Cheadle in one of my favorite forms of the movie breaks it down is that they are better at selling drugs because they won't get arrested and they have lower visibility. <laughs> Don Cheadle actually is kind of playing a character that uh, your other co-host Tim and I kind of invented. Really? We I remember I told you about Pet Shop Boys, which I will not go into, not because it's a bad idea, but because someone might steal it and turn it into a horrible movie, and that needs to never happen. But um, <laughs> basically the movie was about people uh, chasing a squirrel around the city, and there's also a gangster named the Squirrel that we decided would be played by Don Cheadle. So this was kind of like the Squirrel came to life. <laughs> and he was Don Cheadle was this inner city duck. That's what the Squirrel would be like, is he would be that character. <laughs> He's kind of like an intelligent mogul. It predated the fire, obviously. But he was a really intelligent mogul who just happened to decide that his business venture was drugs. And then his character actually has more of a journey than anyone else's because he actually changed his ways. That's true. And like, what at the you... end of the movie, because of Bullworth, he might be the only character to change his ways. Well, can you ex- can explain Bullworth. to the people what was the uh, what was the deal with um, Don Cheadle's character and Halle Berry's character and her brother? Well, the original uh, setup for this character, whose name I don't know, there's a lot of characters' name I don't know. I know Bullworth, Nina, 
and Diamond and Sapphire. <laughs> and uh, oh, okay. I think Darnell is her brother, and uh, Don Shields' character is LD. LD, that is correct. I, yeah. I also like Mama Doll, played by the venerable Helen Martin. Yes. Um, <laughs> Who's there to say outrageous she things. She had the last great joke in the movie. Before we get back to Don Shield, she had the last great joke slash line in the movie. The party's getting rough, and I'm going home as soon as I could find my panties. <laughs> <laughs> Which just came out nowhere. I was like, now that, that's what I wanted. <laughs> this I movie wanted, was worth it. I wanted it to be loonier. Like, it yeah. could have been darker and loonier at the same time, and it would have probably had a lot more impact. But back to Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle is LD, the local drug dealer. He has a gang of children to sell his drugs because they're less likely to get arrested and caught. And uh, Isaiah Washington of Grey's Anatomy fame. That sounds like an oxymoron. (laughs) Um, Isaiah Washington uh, of several Spike Lee movies and a doctor show that you may or may not ever want to see. Plays Halle Berry's brother who owes LD a lot of money and of course that means LD is coming to get him and and then comes Bullworth to drive a wedge between them because to get at Halle Berry's brother he's got to get to Halle Berry who's with Bullworth and somehow I don't really remember how Bullworth ended up at LD's place I think was that after he buys his drug dealer's ice cream I think so and he takes them back to where they stay at which yeah and then he steals his car (laughs) yes and that's when the beloved uh, Wrong Nigga to Fuck With starts playing. <laughs> and uh, that Don Shields character basically provides him the, the other half of the stronger uh, rap speech that he gives. That one's more, the cadence of it is less jokey, like Dr. Susie and Beastie Boys rhyming, and more like almost slam poetry. Because yeah. he is just talking in rhyme as opposed to, I'm on a beat that no one can hear. <laughs> something, 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 I grew a beard. <laughs> Somebody say pussy. And he would just interject pussy in the middle of the speech for no reason. Like, that had nothing to do with what you were talking about, but okay. It's what he loves. I mean, yeah. the man has has a hobby. Socialized medicine so I can get more pussy. There's not <laughs> enough healthy pussy out there for me. <laughs> Even that great speech where he does bring up Halle Berry's points about uh, black leaders were big in the 60s because uh, I'm not going to go into the whole thing. But yeah. she goes, she lays out the social, uh, social, political and economic factors that led to a stronger industrial class and more educated people and people that wanted to bring themselves and the people in the community up so they would have leaders and the people would follow them in their message. And Don Cheadle on the other side of that was one of those educated leaders except he uses education to just peddle drugs and rope people into that lifestyle. And he brought up that the system that was provided for them was not good. So he provided a, the only realistic alternative to achieving any semblance of success. Yes. So he took those two things and he brought them, he brought them up very well. And he also did kind of tie in that it was, he kind of skated over this, but I did like it that it was more about classicism and that, the uh, the wealthy and the politicians basically are just pitting the races against each other so they will vote out of fear. Yes. Good thing that never happened again. <laughs> um, it's, good, it's a good thing that we all learned the lessons of Bullworth and applied them. Yes. His voice gets really even-tempered, and it's really, he's, his flow's a little 
more like it feels more stream of conscious. It definitely feels more like Howard Beale in Network and less like the rapping granny from <laughs> The Wedding Singer, which is what it is a lot of the time. Yeah, because a lot of the a lot of the humor in the movie leans on, hey, look at this white guy. And I do like that. The humor is that because it is funny because he's terrible at it. Yeah. And I think he's supposed to be terrible at it, but it kind of is very one note after a while. Yeah, and it's like it they, they make a lot minutes, of mileage okay. out of that. But it's like right when it was at 90, I was like, this could go to like a really wacky climax and be good. But there's like another 20, 30 minutes. And there's yeah. also the, the impending threat of the weekend uh, research trip. Yes. Which is sort of played for laughs. And then you're like, are we supposed to still find it funny that he's like ducking every time a car backfires? Yeah. They like... start playing a public enemy song a lot when he's running from them, which of course public enemy is not really for jokes. So you're supposed to think, oh, this is the serious part now. So it's kind of like generic action movie chase scenes going on that really weren't there before and are out of place. Yeah, because, like, we're supposed to legitimately fear for his life because there's this mysterious guy, like, who always turns up, you know, yeah. wherever Bullworth is, but then he turns out to be a photographer? He is uh, either paparazzi or just a media. Yeah, and he's trying to he's trying to get a picture of Bullworth and Nina together, but he yeah. fucks it up somehow. Yeah, that's about it. But there are actually people trying to kill him along the way. So there is actual danger going on. But the, the movie's not really sure if it's still supposed to be funny anymore or not. I think if they had just said someone's trying to kill him and it's funny, it would have worked better. Yeah. I think Wacky and Dark would have made would have heightened the intensity and it would have made it more urgent. Yeah. And it might have been happier. Like, even when he does that speech at the uh his last televised speech and just the light the entire light rig falls behind him like oh shit <laughs> like so that was a pretty good sequence for me and i think more of that would have done better but even in that good sequence what was the main point that he had the main point was we all gotta keep fucking until we're the same color it's just all about sex yep and maybe that's just Warren Beatty's thing, or maybe that was Warren Beatty talking about politics and himself at the same time. But it's all about pussy, especially considering at the time the main news about the president was just about pussy. or And other orifices. <laughs> it's all about the, what was the phrase? <laughs> Where's the nappy dugout? It's where you get the bug out. That's not, that doesn't make any sense. But, of course, neither does Tim Kaine in the membrane. And at least he said, nappy dugout, get the bug out, not trying to get someone elected. So he's trying to get himself elected. I would like to bring up the underused cast members because there are many of them. Yes. Uh, I would say the MVP of the movie would be Oliver Platt, who is the tone that I wanted for the whole movie. Where he's Ol just exasperated the entire time. Oliver Platt is kind of the, uh, well, I can't really say unheralded, but the, the MVP of, like, half the movies that came out in that era of the 90s. Yes. He really, if he was in it, you probably are going to enjoy his performance, if nothing else. I did like how he kind of ended up just giving in to cocaine, and then mm -hmm. cocaine ultimately ended up setting him free. Yes. And it was good for him. I, he had a pretty good character arc of being um, disapproving, worried, and then he was like, he wanted out. 
Yes. And then he said, fuck it, I'm just going to do some coke. See where this goes. <laughs> yeah, he was just a straight up, like, DC wonk. And then he was just like, fuck it, I'm going with this. Because then and... he, he saw the possibilities. Mm-hmm. Which can bring us back to Aaron Sorkin because Aaron Sorkin may have done touch-ups, but it didn't have everyone's uh, that patented everyone's talking at a clip tone really fast and talking over each other. It was basically just him, and it worked better to just have one character doing Aaron Sorkin speak as opposed to TV shows where they all talk like that and you just want to throw your TV out the window. Well, yeah, thank God there were no there were no like tracking shots of people walking down halls. Yeah, Warren Beatty thankfully was not a fan of those. I bet he was like, you know what we should do in this scene? <laughs> we should have it. He goes, that's a terrible idea. No I feel like I feel like the Sorkinisms were mainly confined to things like um, the dry comments that the C-SPAN team would make to each other. Yeah. Like off of yeah. like, oh, like Bulwark's doing something wacky. I'm going to turn to the other crew member and say something very dry. Yeah, that would be Laurie Metcalf and uh, Wendell Pierce. With Sean Astin Ooh. as the cameraman. They were pretty underused, I think. Yeah, I feel... Yes. Do, do you... Sean do you Astin, think... he was in his own movie that I didn't want to see. Yeah, because he I didn't know he what was, was going on there. I think he'd gotten into some of Oliver Platt's cocaine because I was like, "Whoa!" Like yes. he's he's got a speech fired up, and then they just cut but away. But it from was him. only used in like people would walk past him, and he would be in the middle of the speech, and they would walk the other way, and he would still be in the middle of the speech. I feel like um, maybe there was more with the C-SPAN team, and then they were just cut for expediency's sake. Yeah, I mean, they could have cut more for expediency's sake, but probably not them. Uh, other characters I would have liked to see more of would be Christine Baranski as the wife. Yeah, boy, she was who just spent the whole movie in, in the bed with a Baldwin. Yeah, I believe oh, it was gosh. Billy Baldwin. They they really underused Christine Baranski again to the point where I wondered if there was more of her that was left on the cutting room floor. Maybe man, because she based I think she had three scenes. Yeah, there was. The event, there was the photo op, there was the event where he raps about socialized medicine, and there she's in the bed with Billy Baldwin. And that's about it. And we don't really get a reaction, she just kind of throws her hands up. It's like, oh, man. <laughs> oh. I mean, I would have liked to see her tell him off or tell him to keep going, either one or the other, something. But she was so checked out of her marriage, obviously, that, I mean, I'm sure she was just like, oh, Bullworth, and, you know, that was it. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> was it. I also was sorry to John Witherspoon, uh, the MVP of several black comedies, House Party, Boomerang Friday, only basically said, was the preacher in the opening church scene and said, Senator Jay Bullworth, it was never seen again. I was like, he's in this? He's going to say something hilarious. And that was pretty much his entire role in the movie. Yeah, that's I was like, right. can he at least say bang, bang, bang or something? The fucking, the Greek chorus old homeless guy had more to do than he did. Yes, and uh, the, the, I want, he's not really a magical black man because he didn't have magic, but he did have the mystical portion of the movie. Uh, that was uh, writer, playwright, poet, general dissident Amiri Baraka. Really? As it was. Jeez, and that was all that they could give him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I... He got paid, so that's something. Yeah, and it was sort of the mystical point of the movie where it, I don't know if that was supposed to be the... I guess it was the point since he kind of bookended the tale. 
like he's one of the first faces Bulwer sees when he goes into South Central and he's the last face you see in the movie. And his point is you got to have a song, which, yeah, songs are good. And you can't be no ghost. You got to be a spirit, which I guess means you have to be spirited. Right. I mean, it was pretty it was pretty simple. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty vague message. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of I don't know. It's kind of weird that he would say that. um, I mean, I guess the point was that you can't get your message across when you're dead, when we all know most uh, leaders got their the agendas put forth in their messages more successfully after they were shot in the head. That's why they stopped shooting people in the head in the 1960s. <laughs> because that's because they were getting no traction and they were marginalized and now they're dead and now oh now we can do all those things that they said we they said we should do. Yeah, it 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 seemed I don't know. It was it was kind of that same like weak sauce like liberal democrat like Mm-hmm. That we're still afflicted with today, where it's just like, yeah, you gotta have a song, you know, you mm-hmm. gotta be involved and like. Well, you know... a lot of the conversations about race relations and and the serious political stuff that Warren Beatty has with the other characters is probably stuff that you should have like had. That's why then you needed a ghostwriter consultant. Yeah. In the hip hop community, because a lot of that sounds like conversations that he should have had in like a workshop yeah and then like fleshed it out in a certain way because he's kind of like asking the questions in the script as opposed to asking the questions and then either coming up with an answer or saying i have no answer in the script he kind of just questions it and doesn't really know where to go so let's have a chase scene <laughs> yeah and it's um I don't know. It I, it's hard for me to take movies like this seriously where it's like it's like okay, well, we're really going to stick it to this rich white male establishment. I, a rich white male, will take <laughs> millions of dollars and make a mainstream film criticizing yes. the system that I that I'm a part of. I know? did see a little blurb somewhere probably on Wikipedia that the movie's entire budget came from the fact that 20th Century Fox pulled out of Dick Tracy. That's right. And in lieu of a lawsuit, he's like, well, just give me $30 million. I'm going to make a movie. What's it about? I'm not going to tell you. And he made that movie and didn't tell them what it was about. <laughs> and like, here's my movie. You're putting it out in the middle of the summer. So it was it was his loophole movie, basically. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I did not see this when it came out. I did. What did you and think of it at the time? I think I you remember, said you thought it was kind of funny. I thought it was very funny. And I thought that the I thought that uh Warren Bay as a rapping politician was intentionally played for laughs and his bad rapping was intentionally played for laughs. And I remembered there being like real truth bombs which I did not get watching it now maybe because I'm jaded now. Or maybe because Bullworth was the movie that gave me the truth bombs and now it's I don't know it wasn't Bullworth. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and I it was, it was, I was less not under time. the influence at the time that I saw it in 1998. I'm pretty guaranteed of that. I was too broke. So <laughs> you were a broke college student. Yeah, I, I probably some of it might have just been an attraction to Halle Berry. Some of it might have been this. Ooh, the soundtrack. 
the soundtrack is actually kind of important because it was more successful than the movie. <laughs> yeah. The 1990s was pretty much the golden era of where putting this movie with uh, black people in it. And since there's Life People movie, we need to have a soundtrack with every famous musician we can think of. It's a very strong soundtrack. Yeah. As far as credibility in the community. And also it introduces uh, some musicians that went on to bigger things. I don't want to say bigger and better things, but bigger things. <laughs> it was the first appearance of three famous entertainers. One of well, Maya was one. She sang on Ghetto Superstar. Yes. Which was the album's biggest hit. Yes. It was actually a bigger hit worldwide than America. I think it was top 20, but in other countries it was like number one, number two, number three. I just remember that song so, being huge at the time. Like you couldn't get away. It was it. a very big song that summer, and that pretty much propelled. That was the biggest success story of that movie was that song and that soundtrack, and also it makes me think of that wonderful VMAs performance where Old Dirty Bastard was wasted and staggering around the front of the stage, and Proz realized that there were pyrotechnics about to go off on stage at the end of the performance, and he yanks them away from the edge of the stage. <laughs> Five seconds before the pyrotechnics go off. <laughs> and at the end of the VMAs, people were like, Kurt Loder, what was your favorite part? I think uh, Praz saving Old Dirty Bastard's life was one of my favorite moments. <laughs> it was also Eve's first appearance on record. She was working with Dr. Dre at the time, but he met some guy named Marshall and decided not to work with her instead. Ah, I think that panned mm. out for him. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think. I think it worked out. But but yeah. but Eve. <laughs> he did okay. She did. She did a song with Dre. It was pretty good. It, it, she he didn't really work with her after that. So then she went to the Roots and she went to Rough Riders and became Eve. She worked with Dr. Dre again once or twice. I think Gwen Stefani was had to be in the room every time that she worked with him, or he <laughs> wouldn't take her call. What is like her spotter? <laughs> yeah. Pretty much like, I want to work on a song with you. Is Gwen there? I'll be right there. <laughs> and the third um, act who made an inauspicious debut on the Bulworth soundtrack, one of my favorite songs on the album at the time that made me want to go buy their debut album, which is very engaging and fun party hip-hop. Um, it's a group called uh, the Black Eyed Peas. Oh, God, that's right. This is the Black Eyed Peas That was Peas their before. first song it was the that was the hip-hop era black eyed peas when they were just a party rap group this was this was black eyed peas before they turned into something that i thought was a parody <laughs> before they turned into hooray for everything the first time i saw the video for my humps i was like oh it's a parody this is great and then i was like oh my god they're not serious. a parody oh my god oh yes. my god for those who don't know and pretty much nobody knows because they've kind of erased it from their memory <laughs> will i am is actually a very good hip-hop producer and knows his way around like really good like boom bap and it, it was it was inoffensive but it wasn't like will smith inoffensive where you're like nauseated it was like <laughs> Jurassic Five style, like really good, like throwback hip hop. Right. And they did two albums of that. Joints and Jams was probably their biggest hit for those first two years because of the Grease interpolation and the other sample. And it didn't really go too well financially. So they said, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> and 
did some, and they basically became the poster children for corporate sponsored hip hop. Right, and I, I'm just, I'm just like blown away that Black Eyed Peas have been around for more than twenty years. Mm-hmm. They were originally signed to Easy E's label. Holy fuck! Really? In the early '90s, that album never came out. Oh man. I think because they were a little too inoffensive, even for Easy E. <laughs> and though we put out a Misha LA album, I think something just happened and the album never came out. Some of those songs got reworked and put on the first album. The first album I wholeheartedly recommend. It's not like an outcast album. You're not going to be blown away, but it's very engaging and fun. The second one's kind of more the same. You kind of see them like being trapped in a corner, like we're just going to do this forever and no one's going to pay attention to us. So I get why they did it for attention and money. Kind of like Bullworth. I love that. Where they latch on to something. Like, it's weird that Bullworth is ostensibly about someone who's in the pocket of all these megalomaniacs who finds a second wind by appropriating a different kind of megalomaniac culture. Because he doesn't appropriate public enemy hip-hop or Ice Cube or Tupac. It's very... I mean, Jay-Z wasn't even Jay-Z yet. He basically was doing what Jay-Z was about to do, was just pretend to be a mogul <laughs> and bluster his way into people thinking that he's saying something of substance. I mean, where he could be very intelligent and have a lot of good points, but it's really insubstantial, which, of course, is great for politics. And I guess the point was that politics is insubstantial. Is insubstantive a word or is substantive? I don't know. Insubstantive in works for Insubstantive. Let's go with that. <laughs> uh, no matter what the packaging is, it's insubstantive. Yeah, which is why this movie is like almost a really great satire. But it, almost. it lacks that extra little bit of self-awareness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, we can. I'm going to bring up the movie that is sort of like this, that does have all the bite, which would be Bob Roberts. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Tim Roberts is just this horrible, horrible man who takes his folk music and uses it to corral the masses. Yeah, because the problem and it's is, it's very is biting the entire time. That's that. That's that's the problem, really, is because I don't think Beatty could bring himself to, to play someone horrible. Yeah, he couldn't. I don't think he could bring himself to play play a character who isn't like intrinsically good. Like, you know, he's Except kind of a, he's an old man who's lost his way. Like he's 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 lost track of the ideals of his youth, and this is yeah. him kind of trying to fumble. It was very his way midlife crisis, that. even though he was way too old to have a midlife crisis. Yeah. Well, you know, he's... The... Was he... He said he was 60, was... I don't know if Beatty was 60 at the time. Beatty was born in 1937, same year as my father. So, yeah, he would be 60. Yeah. So... At the time. I, 37, I like... you say? Yep. Yeah, that's my grandmother was born in 37 as well. Yep. I did like... A good year. It, it truly was. Uh, I did like that when he, you finally think he's going to get with Halle Berry, and then he just, his old ass just straight up falls asleep. <laughs> falls asleep. Which, That's what I would do. Which is... I've been running around all night, drunk and hot, <laughs> trying to get at this hot ass woman, and then she, I'm yours! <sighs> <laughs> which, I was like, I had, I I had to, to hand it to them, I was like, okay, well. that's that's funny, because that is what would happen. He's basically been like, not like he's basically been like speeding out of his brain for like three days straight. You know? mm -hmm. 
<laughs> Wednesday and cackles. I've eaten since Wednesday, and then he has a chicken and some weed, and it gives him a it gives him he can keep going now. I I l- l- I'll tell you what was wrong with this movie: the fact that they were in Los Angeles, they wanted to stop for chicken, and they didn't go to Roscoe's. Right, and didn't at one point when they were when Oliver Platt's character was trying to get his name was Murphy, yes. uh, he was trying to get rid of Diamond and Sapphire, and he said we can drop you off at that chicken and waffle place on high. Like drop him off, let's all go. <laughs> that would have been think... a great place for him to deliver a wrap. But I don't at the Roscoe's... chicken and waffles. N- neither Roscoe's location is on Highland. Yeah, but it's Hollywood. They can just pretend it's on Hollywood and Highland and then just go to Roscoe's. I mean, the greater America doesn't know that the Roscoe's is on Gower. Like, you're not going to say, let's go to that place on Gower. Like, no one's going to be like, what yeah, the but, hell you are know, you it's talking a, about? But come on, this is like a, this is like a, this is a Hollywood insider version of politics. Everybody who right. goes to see this knows where fucking Roscoe's is. It would make sense. Or he could have said Pico. That, yeah. That I, w- that I would have bought if he'd said Pico or Gower. Like, come on. Come on, you guys. Yeah. Research. Research. But I think, I don't remember if it actually was, like, it might have just been a product placement thing. I think there might have been a KFC logo on that bucket, so it might have just been yeah, so they had a to, bill-paying thing. Yeah, so they had they had to mention KFC. It couldn't even have been Popeyes. Like, there's a fucking, there's a Popeyes right, right on fucking Or El Pollo Loco. Saying, saying. Going to the Loco. Something. Something. Uh, what was one of the bigger surprises for this movie that uh, I think we brought up earlier was that Ennio Morricone yes. was was the uh, the man in charge of the score for this Who movie, wrote? which really, there isn't much of a score except when the assassination attempts keep happening. Yeah, and, and then that's there's, a, there's kind the of a swelling, weird. there's kind of a swelling love theme when... Mm-hmm. Uh, they finally romantically connect. There's a love theme and there's and... the danger theme where it's... It's kind of soap opera-y. Yeah. Which is funny. Kind of it's like... just... It cracks me up because you know that there were two... There there, there had to have been two CDs released for this. There was like a... There was yes. the, the best-selling soundtrack with all the, mm-hmm. like, the hip-hop on it. And then there was right. the... Oh, the Ennio Morricone score. Which only like fucking nerds who go to Cinematech screenings in L.A. would have bought because they're like, oh, have, Somebody's you, heard, got have it. you heard the Ennio Morricone score for Bullworth? It's it's amazing. You know people have that on Laserdisc. I also love that you, like, earlier when you dropped a whole bunch of knowledge about people who appeared on the Bullworth soundtrack, and right. all of that would have been just news to Warren Beatty. Like, I bet he knew nothing of what you spoke Yeah, of. because as we know, they don't actually play the songs in the movie. They do the songs after and insert the music. Yeah. And I don't think he was involved in that at all. I believe I didn't check on it. I want to say Dre was involved in selecting like he did two songs and Ice Cube was on it. So that seems right. I think it was just an Interscope thing and Dre was on Interscope at the time. Mm-hmm. So they got a lot of those artists. But right. the the lineup is pretty stellar. Uh Cypress Hill, not Cypress Hill, Be Real of Cypress Hill, his other group, The Psycho Realm is on it. Yes. Uh, Muggs, who's all, who's the producer of Cypress Hill, who is a great producer when he's not doing hummingbirds in your ear. Uh, he did a song with... <laughs> Stop it. Let me go over and see what B-Rail's doing. Oh! Just getting it at both ends. Uh, 
Muggs produced a song, which I believe is Mob Deep. Oh, that's actually a very strong song. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that Bullworth is sorely missing. I don't want to read the entire rap, but there's a song, and I think it's called Bullworth. It's got Method Man, it's got Mob Deep, and it's got... Uh, as Prodigy of Mob Deep, Method Man, Karis One, you know Karis One is always yeah. dropping knowledge. And Cam, Cam is uh, prominently featured on Death Certificate. Go listen to Death Certificate. Ice Cube. <laughs> Do it. Check it out, folks. Death 1991. <laughs> it's a very incendiary album. Um, oh, I looked up the wrong thing. It's called Bullworth. They talk about it while we live it. And it kind of is the... It's... It was very fitting that it's because a lot of those movies where the soundtrack was better than the movie, the in the hood movies and the hip hop stuff. Yeah. Usually the soundtrack would tell the story of the movie better than the movie because they only had five minutes. <laughs> so, like, yeah, we didn't really have a strong plot. So it kind of it's, it's better as a sum up. You know, like I was listening, I was actually listening to the soundtrack earlier, like after yeah. I watched the movie. And I was like, you know, I think I like the soundtrack better than the movie. <laughs> if the soundtrack for the movie is really good. The movie's probably not worth your time. Why do fools fall in love? Jason's lyric above the rim. I mean, there's it's a long list, <laughs> and it was a pretty, it was a boom. Doctor Doolittle. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, I had them all. Doctor Doolittle Nothing had a banging soundtrack. Who knew? Well, that was where one of Aaliyah's biggest hits came from. Oh, I love Rex Harrison. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So Cam's verse and. It's kind of basically what Bullworth says, but he says it in a better cadence because he's a real rapper. Because he can rap. He's not He's not an old Democrat. Uh, what kind of party is this? It's that political kind where America's best, most hypocritical minds try their hands to keeping y'all deaf, dumb, and blind, and the right dollar sign do white-collar crime. Like, already, that's better than Bullworth, who's just going something, 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 sign. Socialism. Commit a crime. Like, everything. It's like a Oompa Loompa pattern that happens a lot in really rudimentary hip-hop and um, seventh grade U.S. history classes masquerading as Broadway musicals. <laughs> it's like when, um, when, he's fir- when they're in the club and he's first kind of trying out this strange new yeah. language of rap. Have you seen him? <laughs> I was like, oh, that's like, so adorable. So he's basically MC Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> I was one point I was just waiting for going, I'm like a tornado. <laughs> Which is something MC Hammer actually said once. I don't he doubt it. He couldn't think of a rhyme, so he said, I'm like a tornado. Is he referencing that Yes album, Tormato? <laughs> Maybe. This is this is the only podcast where you will hear rap and hip hop and progressive rock discussed side by side. It's gonna have death certificate meets the lamb lies down Broadway. Saying. Telling you. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of the, like that song specifically with uh, KRS One and Cam is basically what Bullworth is about allegedly, but he doesn't present his argument well. Well, Not he's... that that matters to the movie because the movie is like, oh, he's rapping, so that means people are voting for him because no one's ever talked like this in politics before. Yeah, and like, I feel as though that, you know, because the movie is basically a vehicle for 
causes that are dear to Warren Beatty's heart. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're, you're kind of getting, like, you are getting the liberal Democrat, like, social consciousness, but it's it's filtered through the lens of this, like, old white Hollywood superstar Democrat. Exactly. I also feel like um, there, like, there's a, and it, it's, it's bring, just bringing it up randomly, but there's a part where Oliver Platt is coked up and he's kind of ranting to, you know, his the the other guys yeah, running on the campaign. I, and he's talking he about how, you know, we man, like if it hadn't been if he hadn't gotten distracted, if he hadn't gone for the pussy like, we could have gone all the way. And <laughs> I almost feel like that's a little bit of a stab at Bill Clinton. Yeah. Because while uh well, Clinton <laughs> that was the prevailing best joke of 1996 here you guys. Here it is. While Clinton did indeed go all the way many times um in you know, more ways than one yeah he still managed to tarnish his legacy with you know these these you know allegations of mm-hmm. you know and these indiscretions and yeah. did they ever get that cum stain off that dress that's all i want <laughs> speaking of sorkin there was another person that warren Beatty wanted to use to work on the script but it didn't work out and that person was elaine may that's right. I guess maybe and he... instead, guess what she worked on? Primary colors. <laughs> of course but she, she just did. went all out after that. It's like, oh, we don't need to do any... We're just, I'm just going to do the skating indictment movie instead. I got to hand it to Beatty. Like, I guess he st- he felt really bad about Ishtar. If he was willing to reach... I think so. You know, he was willing to reach out to Lane May. I mean, like, as we mentioned in our, actually, the first episode of the podcast, we talked about Ishtar. He couldn't bring himself to fire her mm-hmm. when Ishtar started going south because, as he said to a friend of his, I'm a progressive on women's issues. I can't fire a woman. I can't fire a woman. Uh, there is one more person who was underused, but it was kind of intentionally underused. She's just a walk-on character. Uh, she, when Warren Beatty first goes in the club at the beginning, this is a throwaway, um, uh, uh she, he rump, bumps into this woman and he, she just berates him. Like, get the fuck out of my face, motherfucker, yo, y'all give you five dollars to give you a better suit, motherfucker. Yeah, and she goes on. As the scene plays on, she's still yelling at him in the background for another, like, two, three minutes. It's hilarious. <laughs> uh, that is, and she just, you just hear in the back, like, it's not even scripted. She's just yelling, you just, what am I? And um, <laughs> that is a comedian, Cheryl Underwood, who was very popular in the 90s on Comic View, BET's Comic View. I think she was a host in the later years. Uh, she started off as if she was a very uh, successful, raunchy comic and was so popular, I guess they let her host after everyone else got famous and left. <laughs> and I think that she was probably, Bulwars was probably... Around the time either she was going to start hosting, or by then she was known. So, I'm pretty sure I and any black person or anyone that saw Comic View saw and went, oh, Cheryl Underwood! <laughs> and um, now she is on the talk. One of the hosts on the talk. Really? Which is The View, only another network. She's been on there for five years. I just found that out. Well, that's good. Steady paycheck. Good and for her. She's Actually, a Republican who can't, she's like an Obama Republican. Like, she didn't vote uh, Democrat until Barack Obama came along. Huh. 
That's interesting. Which is a very interesting. Yeah, I'm sure Warren Beatty knew nothing about that. He didn't go. So who you vote? Who'd you vote for in the, in the last election before I cast doing this movie? <laughs> I'm sure that he just assumed that. I don't think he did that. I'm sure that he just assumed that every single black person who worked on the movie voted for Clinton, who, as we know, was our first black president. Well, that's kind of the assumption of the movie in general. Yeah. That he keeps saying all of black people vote Democrat, and the Democrats take the African-American vote for granted, which they do, but everyone doesn't always just blindly vote Democrat. Yeah, again, it's like this movie, there are kernels of truth in this movie. (laughs) Yes. They tend to get lost. In between the really terrible cadences. And again, you're dropping all kinds of knowledge, which is completely unknown to most of the people who watched Bullworth. Did people watch Bullworth? I don't <laughs> even know if it made its budget. <laughs> I think, I feel like, I know that that critically it was a success. Um, it I was remember... nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Well, there you go. But, you know, that doesn't always necessarily that. translate to... But I mean, that means it was some sort of a critical success, or they just wanted to give get Warren Beatty to the Oscars. Well, according to Wikipedia, on a budget of thirty million, it made about twenty nine million. <laughs> so... And I'm sure there was the I'm sure the soundtrack helped a lot. Yeah, I'm sure it did. The soundtrack went platinum. The single "Ghetto Superstar" was a huge hit. Yeah. So that probably covered a lot of the costs. And I'm sh- I don't remember there being a lot of marketing. So right. I don't, and it wasn't back when a thirty million dollar movie had a thirty million dollar marketing budget. I'm sure the marketing budget was either in that total or yeah. not that much more. Well, and I feel like my perception is skewed because at the time this movie came out, I was going to UCLA. I was a projection. I think I was working as a projectionist at the time. Which in, theater? Uh, I was in Westwood working at the Quad. You were, oh, that's right, you were at the quad, I was at the plaza that year. And, although, actually, like, I think, I can't remember, I might have started a little later than, uh, maybe. Were you like, there at 99? I think so. God, it's all a fog. But I worked at the quad a couple times. There you go. But, again, like, as a, you know, as a film student, like, in Westwood at the time, like, I'm sure that I had a very skewed view of, like, what movies were popular and doing well, you know, because yeah. Westwood is kind of like, the at, hub. Least at the time, yeah, it was like a, it, you know, Especially then. you had the village, there were you like also had a lot, of pres- a lot of prestige movies played there at the smaller houses, yeah. so. And the premieres happened there, too, so you had yeah. big Hollywood and you had little Hollywood, and you had the independent theater, Westside Pavilion, like, not far away. You have, like, a few... I want to say over a dozen movie theaters in a like five mile radius. Yeah, and um, if there were there were movies that came through there like art movies, which had their limited release in like New York and L.A. and like yes, you know they played in Westwood. It was there, so we were aware of them. But you know, yeah. um, if you see something made one hundred twenty five thousand dollars on four screens, yeah, just. <laughs> Please show some compassion for those poor theater workers that had to work like a dozen sold-out shows over the weekend. There you go. Well, uh, we should probably wrap up, but... Is there anything we want to say about like how the film was like filmed? Uh... It wasn't really that artsy. No, it was, uh, in spite of being uh, photographed by Vittorio Storaro, it didn't <laughs> strike me as outstandingly artful. It's uh, no. 
pretty. It's a lot yeah, of primary colors. Color. It mm-hmm. seemed like, like I said before, Warren Beatty like watched a piece of an In the Hood movie or a Spike Lee movie and said, I want it to look like that shot in that scene that I saw. But I didn't see the whole movie, so I don't really know what else to do with it. Yeah, imagine if the whole movie looked like Menace to Society or something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it really seemed like he like took a church scene from this movie, or he saw a cop scene from Boys in the Hood. You know what the church scene just made me think of? It made me think of a John Landis movie, because... Yes. John Landis is, was another director who craved a, a, attention and plaudits from a black audience. Yes, he did. If and only, if it, only in it, the church scene they brought out sexual chocolate. Oh, it would have been good. Well, that's why I was hoping John Witherspoon was going to like do a sermon, because that was like a perfect time for like something really bombastic and comedic. Yeah. But instead we just got... Put down the fried the the fried chicken and malt liquor. <laughs> Damn, that boy can sing. Like, okay, if I have to. <laughs> For the record, malt liquor is terrible and you shouldn't drink it. <laughs> it's cheap and it'll get you drunk, but it's terrible. Well, yeah, and then you'll also start worshipping running backs who stab their wives, so. Because no, that's not that's even once. For me. <laughs> and then you'll never get the bug out. <laughs> um. So... Her. 20 years, almost 20 years on, um, how do you think Bullworth plays today? I think watching Bullworth now, it's kind of eerie since it's kind of like if Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders were actually the same campaign, (laughs) which I know Donald Trump wants it to be because he's mentioned Bernie Sanders' name more than Hillary Clinton has ever mentioned Bernie Sanders, I think. And he, but he's always using it in some like he's always misusing Bernie Sanders' points to like deflect from his own shitstorm. Yeah. And uh, but it was very like the things that Bulwer's character was saying was a lot of things that have been said in this election that the people are tired of. Uh, corruption in politics and big business controlling everything and the media deciding who's in the debates and this and that. All of that is very relevant. And also, there's this blowhard who said horrible things and only got more popular for saying them because they're like, oh, he's a truth teller. He's not one of them, but he's not, and not only is he one of them, he's probably worse. And I'm talking about Borth in this case, but yes. It's there's a lot of eerie parallels to today. Agreed. That make he knew a lot about the workings of politics and really, yeah. Think about the time. Did we were there really a lot of movies about the inner workings of the political process in like a like a biting way? I mean, there had been all the president's men. So that was 20 years before. Yeah, and then, you know, you mentioned Bob Colors, you mentioned Bob Roberts. Um, I guess a really early movie about a demagogue is uh, A Face in the Crowd with Andy Griffith. I love A Face in the Crowd. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. That's a death joke. Everyone go listen to Death Certificate in the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway and then watch Face in the Crowd. (laughs) That's a fun night. That's a proper night in right there. (laughs) <laughs> you don't go see Hamilton. That's a much, much better use of your time. Alexander it Hamilton. Is... Scribble, scrabble, scrambleton. Oh, my God. Please, Megan, stop. <laughs> I'm going Tim Kaine in the membrane. <laughs> but, yeah, there's a lot of eerie parallels, and I think there's 
maybe now people would watch that and go, oh, yeah, we know all that now. But you have to think in 1998, people didn't know that. So maybe that's why I think I liked it more at the time. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't know a lot of those things. And a lot of those things weren't presented on television, let alone in a movie. We know the political candidates weren't saying it. Well, because we and... were unaroused. Yeah. And again, except um... by Comstains. Yes, we were we were unaroused uh, by the nappy dugout. I'm just gonna ride that nappy dugout thing as far as it'll go. You really should. And this also makes me think summer '98. I actually saw Bill Clinton in person. Uh, he was in. Yeah, it wasn't quite in person. Like I didn't like. We weren't like in the room and shook hands or anything. But he was in San Francisco for some summit meeting speech something. And his motorcade was going down a street. I think it was wasn't Market Street. It was one of the streets. I was coming out of the record store. For those of you who don't know what a record store is, imagine <laughs> if store? iTunes was a building that sold songs individually and in packages. <laughs> it can't be true. Nope. Yeah. I was walking out of the record store. I think I bought an E-40 album. And I saw a presidential motorcade. And I was like, I know Bill Clinton's here. Maybe this is the motorcade, and I saw that there went by, and remember, this is the peak of the scandal, where every time you see him on TV, he's either apologetic, or when we see the deposition, he's standoffish and pissed off. (laughs) And I'm thinking, I wonder what he's going to be like, driving down the street, knowing that half the people are, like, pointing and laughing at him, the other half are pointing and shaking their heads, (laughs) and the other half don't care. I see him through the window in the limo and everyone's gawking and all he does is he just has a big gaping Bubba grin and just waves like it doesn't have a care in the world <laughs> and I was like he probably really didn't give a fuck about any of that yeah I mean he got his he's still present he probably wasn't worried at the time he was deep into a second term man yeah his approval rating was going up <laughs> Even as the scandal broke, like, when did that ever happen again? Yeah. So I think that was, that. I think that's a big parallel for Bullworth, where you just, the worse it gets for you, the better it is for my, it was like, there's no such thing as bad press, which is a hokey cliche, but I guess there's no such thing as bad press, unless you talk about um, grabbing genitalia. (laughs) Well... The I mean, the main thing is don't talk to Access Hollywood. That's your first problem. Yeah, true. <laughs> fucking going on Access Hollywood for? Because <laughs> he wants attention. Yeah. It, any any attention him is good attention. Are we? I don't think we decided what Bullworth wanted aside from pussy. Did he want anything else? I I feel like he wanted to reclaim some of the wide-eyed Bobby Kennedy uh, follower-style idealism of his youth. But then he just got killed. So maybe the message is like, fuck you. Like, evil <laughs> wins. Yeah. I wasn't sure if he was trying to be like the white black leader. Yeah. Or like running to be the first black president, even though we are the first black president was already sitting in the White House. <laughs> True. <laughs> um,. Not really sure. I think he just wanted the nappy dog out. But I think he did want some of that lefty populism back. He want, It was very 
like like we all know the hippies turned into the the yuppies and the preppies and i think he wanted to like go back to being a hippie and like reliving his youth yeah i think that really really the the core of this movie was that Beatty wanted people reaching across the aisle and he wanted people to say the word socialism and he wanted everyone to fuck until they were the same color those are pretty much the three main that would be the Bullworth platform yes which, and you know, it probably hey. is going to be Kanye West platform in 2020. So <laughs> Kanye 2020. Kanye 2020, All baby. All day. Although let's just write him in now. Fuck it. Uh, you know it's not a bad idea. And it will it will make a lot of Hillary supporters really mad, which is something <laughs> that I support. <laughs> and it will get him to it'll get him to stop designing those awful clothes. <laughs> He needs another job. That's not the job for him. And um, and uh, Kim Kardashian can be our second black first lady. That's right. Because apparently she's black now. She is. <laughs> which I think is something... I, which well, I think once is something... you give birth to black children, I think... I mean, people have been invited to the cookout for less than that. <laughs> she's well, given to birth mention, to black children. She's black now. Not to mention honorary blackness is something devoutly wished by all the Kardashian women, so... Exactly. There it is. But anyway, would you recommend Bullworth to our audience? I think it's worth a, a shot. I think you can watch it once. It's not boring right. at all. There's some parts that I general, genuinely laughed out loud at. Some of them are aside. Some of it's the, the sheer preposterousness of it all. Yeah, again, and, a lot um, of a lot of the comedy. The bad from... rapping is played for jokes, so it's okay to laugh at it. Whereas yeah. when I see Hamilton, I just pointed and laughed. People were like, <laughs> like, well, no, this is funny. Yeah, again, for me, a lot of the comedy was, um, and I I think that that Beatty is actually like a pretty good comedic actor. Like Tim disagreed with me when we were talking about Ishtar, but fuck Tim, he's not no, he there. is. <laughs> I've liked him as a uh, comedic actor in several performances. Yes, so I think I liked his performance in this. Yeah, no, he was he was. I think it was, was the Warren Beatty, the director, that was a little off in, in the screenwriter. Yeah, it was it was a workmanlike job. Yeah, he was probably a little exhausted doing all those things at once. Well, learning to rap and dance. I mean, you know that <laughs> I, that did seem to tax him greatly. A lot of that probably was the fact that he only had one pussy at the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the few movies in Warren Beatty's of where he has not fucked a lot of people before stepping on the set. So it's worth it just for that alone to see a settled down Warren Beatty attempt to get his groove back. That's true. It's a it is it is a a gentler kind of reined in Beatty. And we'll see what happens when he comes back. Uh, he's coming back soon with a new movie. Let's see what character he plays. I guess he's the star again. Well, and he's playing Howard Hughes, who was also an inveterate pussy hound. Right. So, again, yeah, you can take the guy out of the pussy. Whoa, that sounds bad. Here we go again. <laughs> anyway, you can Bullworth, take it's... the nappy out of the dugout. You can take <laughs> the dugout of the nappy dugout. But, you know. <laughs> That doesn't work either. <laughs> Again, Bullworth, it's available on Netflix, DVD, etc. I, I would say check it out once. Yeah. It's not really good on multiple viewings. No. and uh, but, but it's good for a good one shot. But more importantly, 
Sean wants you to listen to Death Certificate. That is the most important thing pretty much I could ever say to anyone. <laughs> is I go listen to Ice Cube's Death Certificate.